Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me on a brand new year, brand new opportunity to broadcast and share God's word over the radio airwaves or over the podcast. And so thank you so much uh, for joining us today. I want to encourage you with the beginning of a new year. Maybe this is a great time to go back to church. Maybe you've stopped going to church for whatever reason. Why don't you consider going back to church in 2023? And uh, you'll have the opportunity to meet some great people. You know, I go to church primarily because of the spiritual reasons that we go to church. You know, the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, okay? As believers, one of the reasons I can tell a person is a believer, they want to hang out with God's people. If you're not a believer, you don't want to hang out with God's people. As you think about the spiritual reasons for going back to church, that's where you grow more like Christ And that's why you get along with others and you have the opportunity to spend some time together. But you know, when you think about church, I also go to church not only for what I can receive, but what I can give. You know, by going to church, you are such an encouragement to the members of that congregation, to the pastor, and to the leadership of that church. Can you imagine what it would be like next Sunday if nobody showed up for church? Everybody just decided to stay home. What would happen to your church? You know, the strength of the church, I ask myself this question often. What kind of church would my church be if everybody was just like me? I mean, if everybody attended as often as I attended, if everybody serves as I serve, if everybody gave as I gave, what kind of church would we have? And so I would encourage you, go to church and you will receive a blessing and you'll be a blessing. And you know, some of the best people I know in the world are people that I've met at my church or at a church, okay? So get involved with the church, okay? Now, today I want to talk to you about the best gift a father can give. Michael Reagan is 77 years old, and he is the adopted son of the late President Ronald Reagan. You know, he received many gifts from his father, President Ronald Reagan, but at the 40th President's sunset funeral, Michael was given the opportunity to speak, and he described the greatest gift a child can receive. He said, you know, I was so proud to have the Reagan name and to be Ronald Reagan's son. What a great honor. He gave me a lot of gifts as a child. He gave me a horse. He gave me a car. He gave me a lot of things. But there's a gift that he gave me that I think is wonderful for every father to give every son. And then he continued as he eulogized his father. He said, last Saturday, when he opened up his eyes for the last time, that's when I realized the gift that he gave me. This is what he gave me. He gave me Christ as Savior. He displayed his love for Christ. I didn't know what all that meant, but when we were on an airplane back in 1988, we were flying from Washington, D.C. to Port Magoo, California, and he spent a few minutes talking to me about his love of Christ as his Savior. I didn't know exactly all the terminology that he used, but I certainly knew that he knew exactly what he was talking about. And he said, I can't think of a better gift for a father to give a son. And I hope to honor my father by giving my son Cameron and my daughter Ashley that very same gift that he gave to me. Knowing where he is this very moment, this very day, that he is in heaven, I can only promise my father this. Dad, when I go, I will go to heaven too. And you and I and my sister Maureen, who went before us, 
We will dance with the heavenly host of angels before the presence of God. We will do it melanoma-free and Alzheimer's-free. Thank you for sharing with me your life, Ronald Wilson Reagan. And now you think about that. What a tremendous gift was passed down to Michael Reagan. Have you passed that gift on? You know, you can't pass that gift on if you haven't received it. I want to encourage you to give the best gift that you can after you receive Christ. Pass that gift along. Well, let's talk about the best gift the Father can give His Son. A couple of verses that I want to begin with. Uh, the first one is 2 Corinthians 9.15. Paul says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. You ever get a gift so wonderful that you have a hard time putting words to how wonderful this gift is? Well, that's how our salvation is. It is really beyond description. And I think the best way to understand the significance of our salvation is the changed life that we have when we receive Christ. We were dead, but now we're alive. We are lost, but now we are found. And we have a whole new meaning for life. We have a whole new purpose in life. We have a whole new direction in life. You know, it's all made available because of the gift that God has given us. In John 1.16, it says, From his fullness we have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, do you get what John is saying here? John is saying that we have received an abundance of grace. I mean, it's piled up, grace upon grace. And he says, when we received the law, the law was given through Moses. And the purpose of that law was to drive home the point that we are lawbreakers. That's kind of discouraging when you think about it. That's kind of disappointing that no matter how hard we try to keep the law, we keep messing up. We keep breaking the law. But then there's a transition that takes place in this passage. It says that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, the gift of salvation was made based upon the truth of who Jesus is and based upon the grace of who he is. Truth and grace. You see, nobody has seen God, but as a result of Christ coming to this world, we have been able to have a relationship with God. You see, God gave us Jesus. That's the best gift you can ever imagine. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. Now, as you look at that verse, that is a verse of hope. That is what I am anchoring my hope on today. I have believed in Jesus Christ. I have put my faith and trust in him. My confidence is in him. And as a promise that I get for having that confidence in him, I will not perish. I'll have everlasting life. Now, this happened when we were utterly hopeless. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 5. He says, Christ came at just the right time, and he died for sinners. And then he says, well, you know, most of us, we might be willing to die for an upright person, right? We might be willing to die for our wives or our children. But here Paul says that Christ died for us when we were sinners. That's how much he loves us. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You see, God gave us Jesus. That is the very best gift that we could receive is the gift that Jesus gives to us. You know, you think about the value of God's gift. God's gift really is measured by several different ways of measuring it. 
First, when you think about God's gift, you can measure the value of a gift by the motivation of why is this person giving me this gift? You know, all of us have received gifts, maybe, and we think about why did this person give me this gift? It doesn't really matter how wonderful and how awesome the gift is. If the motive of the giver is somehow in question, then the value of that gift is diminished. Maybe somebody was motivated by guilt. Maybe they felt obligated to give you a gift. Maybe somebody was motivated by a desire for others to see how generous they are and that they have great taste. You know, all these motives, they tend to taint a gift. It doesn't matter how big or expensive the gift is. If it's given with impure motives, the value of that gift is diminished. Now, on the other hand, if a gift is motivated by love, it really doesn't matter what it is. We still appreciate it. These verses tell us that the motive behind God's gift was love. John says, this is how God showed his love among us. And then he later says, this is love, that we love God, but he loved us. So the one whose birth we celebrate at Christmas was the manifestation of God's love. And that love didn't come in response to our love. It wasn't like he says, okay, you gave me something, now I'll give you something too. No, no, that gift was initiated solely by God in his unconditional love for us. Max Licato says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring, and it gives you a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk to him, he'll listen. He can live anywhere in the universe, and he chose your heart. And the Christmas gift that he sent to you in Bethlehem, well, let's face it, friend, he is crazy about you. Have you ever had anybody that is crazy about you? You see, God knows us perfectly. All things are open, laid bare before him. Our darkest secrets and our deepest shames, our stormy past, our very worst thoughts, our hidden motives, our vilest imagination, even our vain attempts to cover it all up and appear to be something that we're not. He sees all of it, and yet he still loves us. You know, sometimes I get around with my congregation and I tell them, I says, you know, if you really knew the real me, you wouldn't be very impressed at all. I try to lower the expectations because I'm a frail man like everyone else. So if you really knew all there is to know about me, you probably wouldn't be quite that impressed. And I tell people I'm not nearly as spiritual as you think I am. But you know, the same is true with you. The same is true with all of us. We all fall short of the glory of God. You see, the value of God's gift is measured by its cost. God's gift is measured not only by its motivation, he gives it to us because he loves us, but it's also measured by its cost. A gift doesn't have to be expensive to be meaningful or or even valuable. You see, cost is measured in many different ways. You can pay a lot of money for a gift, and that's one way to measure its cost. Or you can spend a lot of time finding or even making a gift, and that's another way of measuring a cost. I think about all the wonderful gifts that I have just in my office at the church. And uh, the other day I was going through some of the gifts that I have, and, and I found an old cowbell, which is really a coconut that has been hewned out, and uh, there's a bell inside. It came from Africa, given to me by one of our missionaries uh, when he was serving over there, and he wanted to give me that gift. You know that gift is very meaningful because of where it came from and because of who gave it to me. 
And, uh, and somebody spent a lot of time making that cowbell out of that coconut. I have another gift in my office that really is a blessing, and it's a, it's a gift that, that is not expensive. As a matter of fact, it was put together by a bunch of teenagers. And, and years ago, we got together, and we had a kickball contest. And we invited another youth group to our youth group, and, uh, and we had a contest between the two churches, and it was a battle between the youth groups. And our youth group uh, happened to etch out the victory. And so I had this gift that was given to me that was made by the teenagers. And it was almost like a belt that they made. It goes around your waist, and it, and it has the names of the two churches conflicting with each other. And uh, I won the kickball tournament. And so they gave me this cheesy little belt, but you know what? I still have it in my office. You know, I have another gift in my office. I have a gift of a Bible. I have a Bible that I received when I was going into ministry that was given to me by my dad. And, uh, and the Bible, it's in really rough shape because I was in a car accident and this Bible got soaking wet in the process of the accident and uh, the pages are all tattered and torn. But that was the first Bible that I used in getting serious about studying God's Word. It's a Thompson chain reference Bible that was given to me by my dad on Christmas of 1984. Well, I still treasure that Bible. I don't use it as much because it's, it's all falling apart. But when I first began preaching, I would take that Bible and I would just write my notes in the margin. And I don't know why I did that. Somebody told me that's the way preachers do it. Uh, you get your Bible, you just put notes inside of the margin and you just get up there and preach. And, and uh, back then, my memory was a lot better than it is now. And that's how I began preaching using that Bible. And then I've got another Bible that was given to me on the day that I was ordained into the gospel ministry. I got another Bible that was given to me by a church that I served in for eight years as the associate pastor. Uh, Then I have a Bible that was given to me by my church, and uh, it was a special anniversary Sunday, and so they presented me with a Bible. These are valuable gifts to me personally. Because I look at the cost of these gifts, it's not that they were, they were so expensive, but it's the love that is behind those gifts. So I want to encourage you today, think about the best gift that you have given and pass that gift on to somebody. I think the best gift that you can give is identifying and connecting with somebody. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He lowered himself, became obedient obedient to death on the cross. Way back in 1940, in September of 1940, a Polish army captain emptied himself in a very costly way. He suspected that something was not right at Auschwitz, and he knew that something was terribly wrong at that concentration camp, and he was a committed Christian. He was a Polish patriot, and he couldn't stand by and watch. He wanted to get information about the horrors of Auschwitz, but he knew he could only do that from the inside. So his superiors provided a false identity card and gave it to him with a Jewish name. And then they allowed him to go to the Germans and disguise as a Jew and was arrested. He was arrested and, and they went through the routine and, and they rotted him up and eventually he was sent to Auschwitz. And he was assigned inmate number 4859. He became just like any other prisoner, despised, beaten, threatened with death. A husband and a father of two, he later said, I bid farewell 
to everything I had known on this earth. You might say that Jesus bid farewell to everything that he knew in heaven. That was costly. But it didn't stop there. There was even a greater price to pay. John also says God the Father sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, there was a major cost. As a matter of fact, theologians give a name for this cost. The name is kenosis, that there was a greater cost that was given at the cross. In that same passage of Philippians, Paul goes on to say in verse number eight, talking about Jesus and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. In order to set us free from our sin and to set us free from that death payment that had to be paid, he died on the cross. Throughout the Old Testament, it was the blood of a spotless lamb that was shed year after year to pay for the sins of God's people. But that was just a picture of God's once and for all solution. His spotless son would shed his own blood. That's what the angel was talking about when he said to Joseph, he will save his people from their sins. He didn't do that through his birth, but through his death. You see, the cost of a gift and the motivation of a gift will determine its value. But the value of God's gift is also measured by its usefulness. The gift is measured by motive and it's measured by cost. But is this gift something that is useful? You know, when you think about something being useful, in verse number nine, it says that we might live through him. In other words, this gift that we receive through Christ is a gift of life, a life that we live through him. So God's gift has the ultimate practical value in that it gives us life. Now, life in this sense doesn't mean a physical existence, but it's talking about spiritual life. It's talking about eternal life with God that starts right now. Later in this letter, John writes these words, 1 John 5, 11 and 12. He says that God has given us eternal life. In this life is in his Son. Now, John was the beloved. He loved Jesus. He was in that inner circle when Jesus had his earthly ministry. He had Peter, James, and John. And John writes over and over and over again the fact that Jesus is life, Jesus is love, and Jesus is the light of the world. So here he says that he has given us eternal life, and this is life in his Son. And then he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, Jesus put it this way, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. Wow, what a promise. Not just life, not just an existence, but life which means something. Life that has worth, life with a purpose, life which is valuable, life that has meaning. You see, a life with eternal consequences and benefits, that's what eternal life is. You see, part of that means we have a purpose. You know, one of the most beloved songs of Christmas really started out as an advertising gimmick. In 1939, Montgomery Ward tapped advertising executive Robert May and says, would you write a poem 
that we could use in our stores when Santa Claus is coming in the stores and we want to give this to the children who visit him. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer first appeared in a small little booklet published by the department store chain, and more than 2.5 million copies were handed out. By 1946, more than 6 million copies of the poem were distributed. Rudolph's story came to musical life in 1949 when May's brother-in-law, Johnny Marks, wrote the music. After it was turned on by Ben Crosby, singing cowboy Gene Autry picked it up and recorded it. Today, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is the highest-selling Christmas carol of all times with 25 million units. What makes this little carol so loved? Well, some people might say it's, it's the courage of Rudolph, the alleged hero of the story. But the real beauty of the story focuses on grace. By grace, Santa chooses Rudolph, despite the fact that he's a clear outsider and considered a reject by all of his friends. He has a defect, his big, shiny red nose that would ordinarily disqualify him from being chosen from other reindeer games. But despite all of the other available candidates, who did Santa choose when the fog rolled in? That's right, the one with the weird, shining red nose. That weakness that was considered a liability by Rudolph and his fellow reindeer all of a sudden becomes a strength Santa used to accomplish his mission. I want you to know, your weakness, God wants to take it, and he wants to turn it into a strength. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared so that we should walk in them. You see, you were specially created, you were handcrafted, you have been uniquely made for the purpose of bringing glory to God. Your purpose is to live a life that magnifies the Lord, to use your gifts and your talents in helping others, to tell those who don't know Jesus that there's some good news. Your purpose is to bring glory to God in everything that you do and everything that you say, so that when all is said and done, you will hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant. You see, God's gift of his son is useful. It gives us life. Despite our weaknesses, It gives us meaning, it gives us value, it gives us purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. So here's the conclusion. God has given us the gift of his son. The value of that gift is seen in its motive and in its cost, in its usefulness. Its motive was love. Its cost was both his self-emptying of himself on the cross. Its usefulness is through the gift we get real life that lasts throughout all of eternity. Well, I want to invite you to join me again tomorrow as we look at the second part of this message, the greatest gift ever given, or the greatest gift a father can give his children. You see, Jesus gave himself, and we're going to talk about that. Jesus willingly offered himself up as a sacrifice. John 10, 18 says that he gave himself voluntarily. He says, I have authority to lay down my life, what I want to, and I also can take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded. I want to encourage you today 
as we wind up our time together, thank you so much for joining me today. Maybe there's a burden that you're carrying. Maybe there's a struggle that you're in. Maybe your health is declining. Maybe you need some prayer for your life today. As we begin a brand new year, can I pray for you? Well, shoot me a text message, 252-267-2365. 252-267-2365, and I will personally pray for you. And if you would like me to put you on our prayer list on Thursday morning, we will personally pray for you on Thursday morning, and we'll pray for you by name. And then if we can help you in your journey with uh, the Lord, please feel free to reach out to me, 252-267-2365. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us today for the broadcast. Join me tomorrow as we conclude this message on the best gift ever given. I would love to see you this Sunday. Hickory Ridge Community Church at 9 o'clock or 1045. Listen, we're just in the Hickory section of Chesapeake, Virginia. Uh, We're not too far from anybody in the Hampton Roads area. Come by and see us at Hickory Ridge Community Church, 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Thank you so much for joining me today. And again, if I can pray for you, 252-267-2365. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to talking with you tomorrow. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 1030 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.